Occupy a Job on Wall Street is an autobiographical novel about New York City in the aughts, centering around a protagonist who is mentored by three sociopaths. The author has more than 15 years of experience on Wall Street bracketing the same time period. While everything that follows is an accurate description of the world he witnessed, names and locations have been changed to protect people's identities. Episode 45, Pastis. If there's a better example of how New York City has changed than the fact that the restaurant Pastis was replaced by a restoration hardware store, well, I can't think of one. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, this is part of a series about a protagonist and fixture of New York City nightlife who we decided to call Tarzan. Back in 2003, Tarzan was a trader for an important investment fund. As stockholding periods fell, the buy side rose to prominence and started trading more with the big banks. The buy side trading job went from essentially being a clerk position to a seat that held the keys to the firm through their control over the commissions paid to the street. So Tarzan surfed the wave and gained credibility around the financial community, but more importantly, he was a force of nature outside of it. Tarzan pops up in several of our previous episodes, most notably in episode 13, The Numbers Game. Episode 44 concluded with Tarzan and a couple of sales traders from a big brokerage firm leaving a Giants game and making their way to Pastis for an after-party. Tarzan tells his new friends he'll meet them at the restaurant after he goes back to his apartment, discards his Elvis costume, and works off a little tension with his girlfriend Jane. We'll come back to Tarzan later, because his sales traders were a couple of real characters that you need to get acquainted with. Let's call the first sales trader Ed, and the second sales trader the Jewish JFK. Amongst other remarkable idiosyncrasies, during the financial crisis, the Jewish JFK had a moat built around his Hamptons house and drove a Maserati with vanity plates that said, Lehman Puts. Both of them took clients out at least three or four times a week and were plugged into the New York social scene better than anyone I knew in those days. They had a reputation as a team that could get a table at the Last Supper. Back then, there was no open table, so there were two ways to get a reservation. Either have your assistant call constantly and wait on the phone forever, or just turn up and slip the maitre d'ac note. The Jewish JFK would only spend other people's money, so he went the phone route, while Ed preferred the latter because he was the sort of man who lived in the moment. Ed would also drop tips to all the busboys. As an aside, you should try that one day. Give a lowly busboy a 20 and watch how quick the rest of the staff jumps to attention for the rest of your time at the restaurant. The word tips actually stands for to ensure prompt service. Front load your tips and your night will work out beautifully. In any case, Ed arrives at Pastis with a view to taking charge and grabbing a big table for the rest of the team who are still arriving in gypsy cabs from the Giants game. But unbeknownst to him... Nicole Miller is having a post-fashion show dinner party that night, and the place is jammed. Ed's money buys him no credibility here, and even he, someone you'd have to poke with a saber to impress, is a bit overawed at the patrons. James Gandolfini's there drinking his margaritas, Gerard Depardieu is porking up on french fries, David Bowie, Willem Dafoe, Kate Hudson, Liv Tyler, Bruce Willis is back behind the bar again, pouring shots for half the cast of Sex in the City. An hour later, Cindy Lauper will be dancing on a table in the middle of the restaurant. Ed standing there a bit stunned and wondering what he's going to do with his entourage when they arrive from the Giants game. To be turned away from a restaurant was the worst thing that could happen back then, and in fact may even jeopardize his business if he doesn't have this squared away before his client Tarzan gets back from knocking the lunch out of Jane. 
Then, someone throws him a life vest. This is worth another quick diversion. A couple of years before our story takes place, someone had sent the actor Matthew Modine to the famous mob restaurant Rouse in East Harlem. He gets there only to be told, every table is taken. Unsure what to do with himself, he's sort of milling around when Ed wanders out to smoke a cigarette and strikes up a conversation. Ed points out that the management at Rouse had probably turned him away to test him and he should just walk back in there and say, Joey Eggplant sent him. Modine tries that and sure enough, the guy at the front says fine, that he should go have a drink with suspenders at the bar. A half hour later, he is a table next to Ed's, and by the end of the night, the two groups are getting on so well, the staff want to know whether they're going to quiet down or if they should move the nearby mobsters to another table. But let's bring this back to Pestis again. Matthew Modine spots Ed and waves him over. Modine greets him with a hug, and he's instantly accepted by the star-studded crowd. In no time, Ed has all these famous people enraptured, telling jokes but also strategically stopping to listen intently to the right people at the right time. By the first hour, he's the life of the party. Mid-story, he looks across the crowd that has formed around him and a very famous black actor is staring daggers at him. He racks his brain to try to remember if he said anything racist. It's quite possible that he has. But Ed is not racist. In fact, he'd be one of the least bigoted people you'd have ever met because he loves and hates everyone equally. No one gets a free pass, white or black, man or woman, gay or straight. In Ed's mind, having no preconceptions of people you meet is the measure of a first-rate intellect. And he's right. But it's a disconcerting situation. The crowd starts to notice, so he's going to be forced to address it. Eventually, he fixes the actor with a look and reaches out his hand in greeting, perhaps to make peace if he's genuinely offended him. The actor looks at his hand, ignores it, and continues his death stare at Ed. It's super uncomfortable for everyone. This guy has done a bunch of action movies. Good ones. The kind of movies that make you think he's actually a tough guy in real life. But the moment passes and the black actor eventually drifts off while Ed continues entertaining the crowd. An hour later, Ed bumps into the actor again at the top of the stairs that lead down to the pastis bathrooms. This time, it's just the two of them. Ed's been having a great time and certainly doesn't want to have ruined anyone else's night with a careless word, or ten. Ed puts his big hand on the guy's shoulder and tries for a joke. He tells the actor that he's not even white, he's Italian, and then he asks if they're good. The actor looks straight through him, and Ed realizes there's not actually an issue with something he said earlier. The guy is just totally bombed. He's literally catatonic from drinking too much. Having been there a hundred times himself, Ed knows the best thing to do in a situation like this is to give the guy space. So he steps back and lets the inebriated actor walk ahead of him to the stairs. The guy stumbles forward, misses the first two steps, and hurdles downward, taking out two staff members and a patron on the way. There's an enormous crash and a scream, activity in the restaurant freezes, and this is the exact moment that Ed's partner, the Jewish JFK, walks into Pestis, calm as a Hindu cow. The Jewish JFK has taken in the entire scene. He disinterestedly skips over the fashion and media elite of New York City to see Ed agape at the top of the stairs looking at the disaster of tangled arms and legs down below him. The Jewish JFK meets Ed's eyes, gives a little grin, and in a piece of expertly executed theater yells out, That asshole just pushed a black guy down the stairs! For the first time in his life, Ed is at a loss for words. 
The Jewish JFK marches over there, and several of the younger male patrons bounce over to back him up as he confronts Ed for supposedly throwing one of their actor buddies down the stairwell. The Jewish JFK is a wannabe Patrick Bateman. He's over six foot with barely an ounce of fat on him on his worst day. But Ed is a big guy too, and they line up eye to eye. Remember, they're supposed to be colleagues and even friends, but Ed's not someone who's above bashing a fellow employee if they cross him in the wrong way. Ed's like, what if I did? And the Jewish JFK smiles and says, that's no problem. I made a reservation at a new place called Spice Market in case something like this happened. Let's skip out on the bill. Episode 46 of Occupy a Job on Wall Street will be out soon. If you like this and want to hear what happened at Spice Market, tell your friends to listen. On the other hand, if you think this podcast sucks, then tell everyone you know how bad it is.